The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone. And yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. Former President Donald Trump made history last night, the first person in American history to win the New Hampshire primary three times also racking up the single largest vote total in the history of the New Hampshire primary by either a Republican or a Democrat. Nonetheless, big media uh, in the Uniparty tried to prop up the showing of Nikki Haley as some kind of victory. Uh, really fairly ridiculous. Uh, to help me break down what happened last night, uh, and where this race is going forward, uh, my colleague Troy Smith, editor-in-chief of Rare.us, joins me in the Stone Zone. Roger, it's an uh, honor to be here. And uh, I, I just want to say last night we had such uh, a, a, an unbelievable result, really, uh, uh, in New Hampshire, because uh, this we have Nikki Haley running uh, as a Republican here who spent most of her money, Roger, on bringing Democrats in to vote for her campaign. And uh, even this morning, we were looking at some of the numbers and it's something like 75% of the Republicans in this race or higher voted for Donald Trump. And when we look at the people that were voting for Nikki Haley, we're talking about at least 60% of them were not even registered Republican. These were people that were brought in uh, they were brought in by Nikki Haley and her ad spending on things like uh, classical FM radio that we talked about with some of our guests last week. And uh, it, it's pretty amazing, Roger, that they, that in a Republican primary, Nikki Haley brings in Democrats. She brings in independents. She spends millions and millions and millions of dollars to make this happen. And yet she still has a crushing defeat in New Hampshire. Uh, but that didn't stop her, Roger, from going up there and pretending as if she won. I mean, that was pretty unbelievable. I, it, I, I was wondering if you if you caught her uh, her victory speech. <laughs> We're actually going to roll that in just a minute, but you make an excellent point. I mean, people need to understand that in New Hampshire, uh, independents, those registered in no party, are allowed to vote. Democrats can vote, but only if they change their registration by a deadline of October 6th, this past October 6th, to either independent uh, or to Republican. 8,000 people did so for the express interest uh, of voting against Donald Trump. There was actually a super PAC that announced openly uh, its, uh, its plans to get people to re-register just to vote against Trump. These are Biden general election voters. Uh, the makeup of the primary was surprising, as you point out, Almost half of the people who voted yesterday uh, were not Republicans. Uh, so it's not a measure of Republican sentiment. On the other hand, Donald Trump's final victory, uh, last time I looked, he was around 12%. That's a solid double-digit victory. 
but the media has tried to spin it otherwise. Let's take a quick look at Birdbrain last night and what she had to say. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. Yeah, actually, of course, Troy, as you know, she's uh, technically incorrect. The next state is uh, the silver state of Nevada, a place where she didn't even qualify to get on the ballot. Uh, the latest polls show Donald Trump with almost 79% of the vote, and he's going to scoop up all of the Nevada delegates. Now, Nevada has this bifurcated process. They do have a primary, but it's a beauty contest. It's a preferential primary. It will show overwhelming support for Donald Trump, but the same day they conduct caucuses, uh, and Trump is poised to sweep those. Uh, the extraordinarily efficient uh, and well-thought-out Trump campaign uh, has done all of the necessary prep work for a victory in Nevada between now and South Carolina. You see Nikki Haley trying to pretend Nevada doesn't exist. Uh, if there's ever any evidence uh, that she's propped up by the Uniparty, we're seeing it before our very eyes. Uh, what I think has really happened here is you have seen uh, a, an early test uh, of the effort to destroy Donald Trump. Uh, they have uh, quislings in the Republican Party uh, who are poised to try to defeat him, as well as Democrats. But this isn't a Democrat-Republican election. This is about the uniparty, the insiders, uh, and an outsider. Before we go to Donald Trump's uh, remarks, uh, let, let's look at the spending. You looked into that, Troy, and what did you find? Well, we found that Nikki Haley outspent uh, the, the former president, Donald Trump, by quite a bit. I mean, it, and, and I think we have a graphic here that we can put up of exactly where that spending was at. And you'll see a tremendous amount of PAC spending on behalf of Nikki Haley. And that kind of goes to the fact of what we've been talking about here and what so many people have been talking about, that Nikki Haley is the candidate of the establishment donor class. And they're using political action committees to pump millions of dollars into her campaign. And as we spoke about before, it's very crucial for people to understand these ads are being run in specific places to target Democrat voters. They're using their massive budget to get Democrats to turn out and, and influence a Republican primary. Um, I think, uh, Roger, something that I'm looking at here and, and just saying, okay, if Nikki Haley can come into a Republican primary in New Hampshire and, and get Democrats to try to lift her up and, and, and elevate her campaign, then there has to be a measure in Republican parties across the country. If there's any state that has these open primaries, it has to be stopped. 
Uh, the idea that you could have a candidate that is playing to the other side in your own primary, um, it's detrimental to the party and, and in no way helps anybody in this situation, especially the Republican voters who are being duped by advertising, um, some of them. But the majority of the support we see for uh, Nikki Haley comes from the other side. And that that, that is just... I, I see the mainstream media trying to spin this and, and say, oh, it's a it's a massive victory for Haley. She came close. She really didn't come close, uh, even though most of the people that voted for her had nothing to do with the Republican Party at all and haven't voted for the Republican Party, not even registered Republican. It's pretty unbelievable, Roger. Yeah, I think last night was also a, a stinging rebuke uh, of Governor Chris Sununu. Uh, he went all out to try to deliver for Nikki Haley. Uh, I, I find him to be one of the most uh, odious creeps uh, in American politics, really kind of a pompous ass. Uh, but he put it all on the line. MSNBC was trying to spin this last night. Let's take a look at, uh, at Joe uh, and uh, Minka and those folks. And, you know, I, I, I just think we have to keep reminding everyone, this guy's not well. Um, and, and what's up with the orange face? You know, yeah. I mean, has anybody, yeah. has anybody checked to see if, is he applying this cheap bronzer to his face in clumps at various times of the day and night? Well, there's unalloyed hate for you. Uh, by the way, go to schools, <laughs> uh, you can never be too rich or too tan. Um, the president, I can assure you, is in excellent health. Pretty good story in yesterday's UK Daily Mail. He's lost almost 20 pounds using the intermittent fasting diet. Uh, I, I'm not sure any presidential candidate uh, would have the stamina to win the Iowa caucuses, give a victory speech at a massive rally where his tone was pitch perfect, fly to New York City, land at 3.30 in the morning, uh, go to a court proceeding, uh, which is harassment, the following morning, stay there till mid-afternoon, fly to New Hampshire, address a rally, uh, uh, fly back to New York, uh, sleep briefly, and be back in court the next day. Uh, you'd be tired, too, and you're a fraction of the age uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, it is clear that the contest is going to go forward. Now, I honestly never expected Nikki Haley to drop out after taking a double-digit beating in New Hampshire. But let's be clear, this was her best prospect for an upset. This schedule does not favor her going forward. We, It is instructive that in South Carolina, there is no party registration. So anyone of any party can vote in any primary. But Joe Biden has a an active Democratic primary. It's the first state in which he has filed. He has opponents. Uh, it will be incumbent on him to try to run up the score. So a substantial number of left-leaning independents, to the extent that they even exist uh, in, New in uh, South Carolina, will be voting in that primary. You do have a, a more conservative tradition among independents. Those independents uh, uh, and some Democrats, frankly, old-fashioned yellow dog Democrats, will be voting for Donald Trump. Uh, South Carolina, I really think, is a uh, Nikki Haley's Waterloo. It, it's not insignificant. 
that Governor Henry McMaster uh, and the Lieutenant Governor uh, and virtually every member of his cabinet uh, and the Republican leaders in both the House and the Senate uh, and I think six of the Republicans uh, who serve South Carolina in the U.S. House of Representatives, including Nancy Mace, uh, who always uh, uh, entertains and amuses me, uh, uh, have all endorsed uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and all of the polling shows that the voters who know Nikki Haley best uh, do not hold her in high regard. I think she's looking uh, at taking uh, you know, a serious beating in her home state. I'm not sure how she rationalizes going forward uh, after that. Well, exactly, Roger. And if you watched uh, Trump's speech last night, which I must say it was one of his better speeches in a long time, uh, he was talking uh, and, and behind him was Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, Nikki Haley's home state. Um, so Trump was, I, I, I thought that was a very powerful move to have Tim Scott up there. And we know how big of an endorsement that really was because we showed that clip before the, prim or before the primary took place and Nikki Haley kind of freaked out and turned her back on a voter that asked her about Tim Scott's endorsement of President Trump. So uh, Trump uh, has played his cards right, uh, you know, to a tremendous uh, sense in South Carolina. And as you point out, it's Trump country. I mean, I, I see South Carolina, I, I, you know, we've watched this two or three times now, Roger, and every time Trump does extremely well in South Carolina. He has a great track record there. Um, so I would expect Nikki Haley to be out of the race by then. But it is interesting that she would come in and say kind of like like you said, she she's basically pretending Nevada doesn't exist. And that's because she's going to get clobbered there because her campaign is pretty much inept and they weren't even able to get the correct structure in place in order for her to have a victory there. So um, it's it's really interesting to see you know i'm having i'm having flashbacks roger of john Kasich and, and not uh, we all remember in 2016 Kasich just refused to leave the race even though he had basically no support so i i'm having flashbacks of that a little bit and then thinking is nikki haley going to try to really hold on to the end here so it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting but i think south carolina will be a resounding defeat for her and that was signaled kind of last night by tim scott standing behind trump giving his victory speech i mean that was a that was brilliant Let's take a quick look at uh, Donald Trump's remarks last night. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary, we win the generals, we've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember in 2016, we came here and we needed that win, and we won by 21 points, and it was great. Uh, a strong performance uh, by the president uh, last night. does appear to me to be a little aggravated because I think he sees the big picture, and he understands that Nikki Haley is being propped up by uh, uh, leftists like Larry Fink and uh, Reid Hoffman and other major globalist donors. Uh, I was speaking to somebody uh, who went to the Davos uh, conference last week, the globalist enclave uh, that is held once a year in which everyone who would like to destroy our constitutional republic gets together for a hoedown. Uh, yeah. they, they feast on steaks while talking about how we should eat bugs. Uh, but there's a, he told me, a growing uh, apoplexy there, a growing hysteria that Donald Trump uh, is uh, on his way back. Uh, I, think, I think that's uh, 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 correct. Uh, you also wonder, 
two things. One, uh, is this like 1980? Now, uh, slightly different in 1980, as we said on this show, uh, Ronald Reagan had a strong lead in Iowa, unfortunately took that state for granted, uh, did not put in the time on the ground uh, that Donald Trump put in, uh, was defeated in an upset, but bounced back to win a solid victory in New Hampshire, uh, then a solid victory uh, in South Carolina, uh, which was a new primary then that preceded Super Tuesday. Then he swept Super Tuesday. But George H.W. Bush, who took a beating after New Hampshire virtually everywhere, but still had money in the bank, hung on in the race uh, to uh, basically try to improve his chances to be selected for vice president. He actually won a couple of late but insignificant primaries, uh, splitting Connecticut 50-50 on delegates. That was his home state. I know a lot about that. I ran the Reagan campaign that year. Uh, and I think he also won Michigan uh, in a late primary. This was largely because uh, uh, Reagan was out of money, had spent uh, what he was allowed to spend for the nomination, but he also had more than enough delegates to be nominated. So perhaps, just perhaps, that is Nikki Haley's uh, 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 strategy to hang on uh, as a presence. Uh, but given the increasingly shrill personal attacks on Trump, uh, for those out who are out there worrying about uh, a Trump-Haley ticket, I really don't see any way uh, in hell th that that is going to happen. One thing well, I do and, uh, want Go ahead. And, and Roger, I just want to throw in last night on the coverage of uh, MSNBC's coverage of this, you know, uh, it, you really get an idea that Nikki Haley represents every Democrat, every MSNBC pundit. She is their representative. And, and when it comes down to it, these people sat around last night and I watched it with Rachel Maddow and Jen Psaki and all these people talking about how Trump is an authoritarian. They were comparing him to Hitler and, and Stalin and saying if he gets into power, he's going to have mass arrests of his political opponents. These people are out of their minds and they can't come to grips with the fact that Trump is a rebuke of them. Trump is a rebuke of the of the of the years and the decades of of, of just, uh, you know, tearing this country to shreds. And, and, and as we go forward, Nikki Haley is going to be that representative of those people. And in these primaries where Democrats are allowed to vote, she will be their wrath. And, 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 and in the general, Joe Biden, this is how you get a Joe Biden, ladies and gentlemen. This is how this happens. Because the, the, the people who have kind of destroyed this country and their allies, they, they want to paint a picture that Trump is an authoritarian while they arrest their political opposition, while they decimate your economy, while they ship your jobs offshore, they claim that the other side is doing it. It's classic Saul Linsky tactics, Roger, and to see it play out in real time is pretty amazing. Well, particularly in this, uh, their argument that Trump uh, wants to do away with democracy. Who is it who's trying to lock up their chief political opponent the way Stalin would or the way Hitler would or the way Fidel Castro would? Why? That's Joe Biden. Who is it uh, using the security state apparatus to spy on hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, without a court warrant? Why? That would be Joe Biden. Who is it uh, moving through government intelligence agencies and the Department of Homeland Security to work with social media platforms to censor and cancel people simply because they disagree with their political point of view? Right? That would be uh, Joe Biden. 
So uh, if there's anyone who's authoritarian here, uh, it's the people who are arresting those who are exercising their First Amendment right to protest outside an abortion clinic. That's fascism. They are the fascists. One thing I do want to clear up, uh, Sebastian Gorka, uh, who was uh, uh, fired in the Trump White House, uh, predicted flatly uh, that President Donald Trump has already selected his vice presidential running mate and that that person uh, is former Congressman uh, Lee Zeldin of New York. Uh, I have uh, confirmed authoritatively that that is categorically false. I just wanted to clear that up. Uh, also, breaking story regarding the vice president this week, which is really interesting. I had no idea uh, that Joe Biden has such disdain for Kamala Harris. Uh, evidently, according to a hot new book, uh, Joe Biden was very angry uh, when Kamala Harris correctly nailed Joe Biden in one of the 2020 Democrat debates as a racist. Now, it was Joe Biden who was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1972 on a platform of opposing the desegregation of the Wilmington, Delaware schools. Uh, it, it is uh, Joe Biden uh, who put forward the, uh, and authored the 1994 crime bill uh, which shifted the war on drugs, not from the drug dealers and the drug kingpins uh, uh, and, the, and the, the drug cartels, uh, but provided for the harsh mandatory penalties for the first time nonviolent uh, crime of possession of small amounts of drugs that is responsible for the mass incarceration if, of hundreds of thousands of black people. So uh, evidently, Barack Obama insisted on the selection of Kamala Harris uh, for vice president. And now uh, it is reported uh, that Biden wants to dump Harris uh, and replace Harris with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, uh, which uh, I think is uh, an interesting development. There's uh, Whitmer. Uh, Joe Biden ought to be careful because uh, I don't know, maybe Kamala Harris will dump him. She has enormous leverage here. All she has to do is tell the truth about how non-functional she is. Now, uh, well, he is. Now, somebody said to me last night, well, that would be contradicting her earlier statements. All she really has to do is say, look, folks, I can't play the game anymore. Uh, I was pressured by party politics to tell you that Joe Biden is fine. He's not fine. He's non-compass mentis. We really need to nominate a different candidate, uh, and that candidate should be me. She has an enormous uh, potential leverage here. Let's see how she uses it. Uh, all right. Paul Inglesia is a New Jersey attorney, a strong supporter of uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, he and I served together on the board of the Italian-American Civil Rights League. Uh, he's going to join us uh, in just a moment. Uh, he has made a comprehensive uh, and, uh, I think, compelling argument uh, that Nikki Haley, because of the circumstances of her birth, is not even legally eligible uh, to be president of the United States. We're going to let him make that case in just one minute. 
But before we do that, I have to remind you uh, that we are brought to you by the folks at MyPillow.com. Uh, MyPillow.com <laughs> is, of course, uh, owned uh, by our good friend Mike Lindell. Uh, bad news for Mike, uh, Fox Television, which was his largest single advertising platform, to whom he has paid millions and millions of dollars, has decided arbitrarily they will just no longer take his advertising. Uh, Mike Lindell is being targeted to be silenced uh, for the same reason that uh, I'm banned today on Facebook uh, and on uh, YouTube uh, and on Instagram. It's because Mike Lindell is a truth teller. So, folks, please go to MyPillow.com right now uh, and take a look at some of those great specials. And when you do, use a promo code STONE. That's promo code STONE. Let me touch on a couple of the my favorite products simply because I must. I'm a dog lover. Uh, their, uh, their dog beds, which are suitable for either dogs or cats, come in three sizes. Uh, let your pets uh, sleep and rest in luxury. Uh, these are a great, great product. Uh, if you go for the dog beds, let me suggest the pet blankets. Uh, the pet blankets keep uh, your babies warm at night. Mrs. Stone and I like to crank the air conditioning down and sleep in the cool. Uh, but uh, our furry little friends uh, remain snug as a bug uh, in their My Pillow dog beds. Uh, covered by their my pillow pet blankets, uh, and then I have to mention, uh, since Mike Lindell built his reputation on pillows, uh, the incredible my pillow 2.0. Now the my pillow 2.0 uses a patented cooling technology that keeps your pillow cool throughout the night. You have to keep turning the pillow over to get the cool side. This is actually the coolest product Mike Lindell has ever produced. Uh, I, I was really surprised at how much I like mine. Uh, I actually gave uh, the, my pillows to the Salvation Army. This is now the pillow I use exclusively. Go to MyPillow.com uh, and check it out, whether it is the, uh, the men and women's moccasin slippers or whether it is the uh, the men and women's uh, terry cloth bathrobes with a wide, uh, luxurious uh, shawl lapel, or whether it is the special towel set that are on a, a, a discounted price today. Uh, you get deep discounts when you use promo code STONE. Uh, we need your support to keep the lights on here at the Stone Zone, so please uh, go to MyPillow.com, and when you do, remember to use promo code STONE. All right, uh, uh, reaching us now uh, from uh, an automobile that is speeding from New Hampshire, where he was uh, working to support the president's effort uh, and celebrating with our good friend Laura Loomer last night. Back to his native New Jersey, uh, Paul Inglesia joins Troy Smith and I now on the Stone Zone. Good morning, Roger. It's an honor to join you on this uh, today on the Stone Zone, finally. <laughs> Paul, it's been a long time in the making. You have a Absolutely. fantastic, fantastic substack, uh, which folks can get uh, at uh, paulinglacia.substack.com. I strongly recommend uh, that you go there and subscribe. 
Uh, Paul is, uh, for a young man, he's an extraordinarily uh, bright uh, lawyer. Uh, he's got excellent analysis there. Uh, you have uh, stirred some controversy uh, over making a, a perfectly, I think, sound uh, legal argument uh, that because of the circumstances uh, and details of uh, Nikki Haley's birth, that she's not really constitutionally ineligible uh, to be president of the United States. Now, some of our critics will say, oh, well, that's racist. This has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with the law. So uh, walk us through this, if you would. Well, that's exactly right, Roger. Um, so recently, our mutual friend, Laura Loomer, who sends her regards, um, she did some investigative journalism and unearthed the fact that neither one of Nikki Haley's parents were citizens at the time she was born on South Carolina soil, allegedly. Who, who knows if we even, if that's true. But assuming that's the case, neither one of her uh, parents were citizens in 1972. Now, the Constitution makes very clear what the requirements are to serve as president or vice president of the United States. And those requirements are, are laid out in one specific section of the Constitution. It's not the 14th Amendment. It's Article 2, Section 1. And those three requirements are pretty clear. Most of us are familiar with them. You have to be 35 years of age in order to be president. You have to have resided in the United States for 14 years continuously. And the third requirement is you have to have been a natural born citizen or a citizen at the time the Constitution was adopted. So given that fact, um, one point that I should make and stress as a threshold matter is the language natural born citizen only appears in what is called the presidential eligibility clause. Again, Article 2, Section 1. Now, the Constitution also outlines the requirements to be members of Congress in Article 1 and, of course, uh, members of the judiciary in Article 3. And those specifications, the language natural born citizen is missing. So right off the bat, you understand that the um, highest office of the land, as conceived by the framers of the Constitution, they wanted to raise the standard for that office. Now, if you look to the historical records and what the term natural born citizen meant at the time the Constitution was adopted, because in order to get the context, the full understanding of the definition of the term, you'd have to go to the sources um, where that term came from comes from a law treatise by the international uh, law scholar at the time that was actually promulgated one of the most uh, influential law treatises at the time. His name was Emmerich de Battelle. And this is where the language um, that was ultimately uh, worked into the Constitution, that Madison uh, worked into the Constitution came from. Now, the meaning for of natural born citizen it may be a little bit ambiguous if you just take this text of the Constitution itself at face value. But if you look at um, where that language came from, from Vitell, um, he makes very clear that, um, you, you know, in order to be a natural born citizen, you have to have been born to two citizen parents. Um, so this is very much um, at odds with sort of the leftist revisionary history uh, saying that, you know, anyone who is born on U.S. soil automatically qualifies as a natural born citizen. That was not the case. And that was not uh, corroborated by the historical record. Moreover, in 1790, 
when uh, Congress passed the first Naturalization Act, um, there's even more support uh, for the uh, definition of natural born citizen being um, born of two citizen parents because the language from that statute um, makes that clear as well. So Roger, if you were to take an originalist, what we call originalist uh, interpretation or construction of Article 2, Section 1, um, it would seem very clear um, if you remain faithful to the text and to the original understanding that natural born citizen means uh, birth by two citizens on uh, uh, being born by two uh, American citizens. Um, this is basically the standard for citizenship um, in every other you know, Western country. I mean, America is unique and it's in being the exception to the global norm, even today. I mean, if you go to uh, France or Italy or England, um, the United Kingdom, you know, they do not recognize citizenship by birthright. They recognize, uh, you know, you only become a citizen if you were born to two citizen parents. It's not just automatic if you're born on the soil of the particular country in question. So given that fact, um, Nikki Haley being born of two non-citizen parents at the time would be disqualified under an originalist construction of Article 2, Section 1. Have there been any significant uh, federal court decisions further clarifying what natural born citizen means? Well, there have been a few, and I have to make clear that and emphasize that um, most of these came right in the aftermath of the Civil War, and they involve the 14th Amendment. So they do not directly implicate the uh, question of presidential eligibility. The most famous case that's cited by those who contest my uh, perspective and what I believe is a true understanding of the Constitution is the case Wong Kim Ark which is a case that um, occurred in late 1898, so some 30 years after the Civil War and the passage of the 14th Amendment. And that is the case um, that conferred citizenship by birthright, or at least read birthright citizenship into the 14th Amendment. Now, two points have to be made on this um, case. One, well, first of all, right off the bat, this is a case whose decision and holding is highly contested. It wasn't a unanimous decision then. And the dissent in that uh, decision, interestingly, was um, Justice uh, Harlan, who also dissented from Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, or he joined in the dissent in Wong Kim Ark. So right off the bat, there's that. Number one, this involved um, just a Chinese immigrant. Um, and Wong Kim Ark, the question before the court was whether um, this individual who was born of two Chinese immigrants who were lawfully domiciled in the United States at this time, whether he should be granted the full privileges and immunities of citizenship. This did not involve a president of the United States. This did not um, implicate questions of Article 2, Section 1, or presidential eligibility by any means. Uh, the court skirted that issue altogether. The majority in that decision um, didn't even raise the question of presidential eligibility or whether um, the cases holding would have ramifications beyond, um, you know, the bare line essential privileges and immunities of citizenship in that case. 
The other uh, point I would like to make is that, you know, the language birthright citizenship or rather natural born citizenship is entirely missing in the 14th Amendment. If you read the text of the amendment itself, um, obviously this amendment was focused on the status of slaves that had become emancipated right in the aftermath of the Civil War um, to try to graft the understanding of that amendment upon uh, Article 2 and um, by extension um, say that, you know, what a, basically the protections granted by the 14th Amendment also apply to presidential eligibility is wrong legal analysis. I mean, it conflates two entirely separate issues, which is why I don't believe that decision Wong Kim Ark uh, applies to the question of presidential eligibility. I think you have to look elsewhere. I think you have to look beyond the scope of the 14th Amendment. And that's, of course, Article 2, Section 1 um, of the text of the Constitution itself. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to shift a little bit here and talk some politics. You were there sure. in New Hampshire last night. Uh, how, how was the atmosphere? I, I really wish I could have been there. Uh, I went to uh, do Tim Pool's great Tim Craft uh, broadcast. I had a great time. Urge people to go to YouTube and check that out. Uh, it really was an amazing experience, but even I cannot be in two places uh, at once. Yeah. Paul, how was it last night? Well, Roger, you were definitely missed in that room, but it was an exciting atmosphere. Um, you know, I, I think um, there, there was a little bit of uh, frustration in President Trump's tone. I think, you know, with the process here in New Hampshire, the fact that Nikki Haley had the system rigged in her favor with Democrat, um, basically Democrats uh, going, uh, passing off as independents, voting for her and infiltrating her polls. But it was still a double digit win. Um, it was a sign of unity, a very strong showing of unity with Tim Scott behind him, with Vivek Ramaswamy behind him, with members of his family and his his broader coalition and staff there. So, um, you know, it's it's amazing the, the stamina on this man being 77 years old. Um, he was just in New York City, as you mentioned earlier, you know, for th this this witch hunt, the continuation of the political prosecution against him, having to go to court earlier that day, flying back and forth from Iowa to New Hampshire to New York to down to Florida, his 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 uh, uh, mother-in-law for her recent funeral. So, I mean, th this man is incredible. It's amazing all that he's gone through and all that he's overcome as a result. And, um, you know, I think the momentum only continues to build. I mean, this, this was New Hampshire was Birdbrain's best shot of, of trying to um, make some sort of argument that she's, you know, in contention where she could challenge the front runner. Um, she got blown out of the water here. And I hope that at this point um, she'll drop out. If not, you know, I hope I wish she had already dropped out. I wish he didn't even have to deal with this. But I think um, her time is coming very soon especially given how many lawmakers, high-profile lawmakers in South Carolina um, have already endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, Troy, do you uh, have any questions uh, for Paul? Uh, yeah, on the question of, uh, so if, if Nikki Haley truly is ineligible to run for president, uh, when would you expect this, like who deals with that? Is that like a, is that a problem for Congress? Is this something that they just bring to the courts kind of on a, like on a smaller basis? Like how does that exactly work? Someone would have to challenge this in the courts. I mean, ideally, it would come from if we had a very competent RNC, it should come from them. You know, they should be the ones filing lawsuits, I think. Ronna McDaniel, I mean, obviously, it's never going to come from her. But, you know, a more competent 
RNC leader. It could also come from, um, you know, state party leaders or potentially even President Trump and his campaign itself, although I think he's has already enough on his plate in terms of lawsuits um, to, you know, go through this process. But, you know, any anyone could challenge um, her eligibility question, especially if you're involved in your state party um, proceeding and, you know, the, the if you're involved in the state party um, and the ballot process there. So, you know, it, it is a question that I think that deserves and warrants clarity. And it's something that the Supreme Court um, and I would demand that they intervene at some point in order to um, in order to uh, bring clarity upon this question, because as the law currently stands, basically anyone who crosses the border right now and has a child on American soil, be they an illegal alien. And we don't even know, by the way, Nikki Haley's the status of her citizenship at the very least prove that her parents at the time were domiciled here lawfully. And we have to you know, we want clarity on. Um, you know, uh, you know, what, what, under what circumstances they were here on U.S. soil? Were they student, were they student visas? Were they, you know, some sort of um, temporary business visa or something? Um, I'd like to, she's, to my knowledge, she has not disclosed any of that information. So as a major presidential candidate, um, she has a duty, I think, to disclose that information. But as I was saying, you know, as the law currently stands, you know, an, an illegal alien who crosses the Mexican border, and uh, makes it into El Paso, Texas, and has a child there, that child automatically um, could become president of the United States. That does not make sense. And that certainly does not comport with the letter or spirit of the Constitution itself. Uh, it seems to me uh, that uh, other than ballot access, uh, this is a moot point. Now, simply because <clears throat> she's not going to be nominated and she's not going mm -hmm. to be elected, uh, I guess individual states uh, somebody could challenge her ballot status. Uh, I, I'm against doing that just from a tactical point of view, even though based on everything I've read and heard, Paul, I think you are legally correct. Uh, I think it's much better to beat her at, at the polls uh, and dispatch her candidacy once uh, and for all. By the way, in all fairness, although I like him and I think he's had a positive impact uh, on this race, and I'm glad to see uh, him endorsing and campaigning for uh, and helping uh, President Donald Trump, it, it seems to me that many of these same issues could have been raised regarding Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, he's no mm -hmm. longer for president, so it is, uh, it is a, a moot point. I'm not familiar fully uh, with the circumstances of his birth either, although I have read, uh, not authoritatively, but I have read that neither of his parents uh, were citizens uh, before he uh, uh, was born. He's certainly a rags-to-riches uh, American success story, uh, but again, a moot point because he is uh, no longer uh, a candidate for president. I uh, just want to throw that out there for some kind of balance. Looking ahead, Paul, uh, New Jersey, uh, the home of uh, Chris Christie, uh, a man who had, uh, last time I looked, a 9% approval rating in the state. Uh, New Jersey, uh, because of the many Trump business enterprises in the state, a state where Donald Trump has always been very popular, uh, looking ahead to New Jersey's Republican primary, uh, how do you feel uh, about uh, New Jersey's delegates to the Republican National Convention? Well, I feel very strongly about um, 
you know, the, the, the progress being made in New Jersey, a lot, you know, our mutual friend, Mike Crispy, he's, he's been doing great work there. Um, you know, recent polls actually j- just this past week out of New York, neighboring New York, um, put Donald Trump within single digits, a single digit deficit of Joe Biden there. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the constituents of these states, I mean, you have to deal with the Republican establishment that, you know, is very much aligned against Donald Trump and populism and nationalism and what he represents. But um, you have some of the most passionate and strongest Donald Trump supporters in the states of New Jersey and New York. So um, to suggest that these states could be made competitive um, in this year's election cycle, I don't think is totally out of the question. I think so long as you get people who are totally on board with Donald Trump in charge of the delegate process and uh, great strides are being made in both states in order to uh, lock that up, I think, um, you know, I think uh, he definitely could make a strong showing in both states. And it's something that Donald Trump has himself um, raised. Um, he was at the New York Young Republican Gala last month, and he was entertaining the idea of doing rallies in both New Jersey and New York City. So um, this is an interesting development. Once we get past, you know, these early primaries, and he really shores up his status as the presumptive Republican nominee, we'll, it will get even more interesting once we get into the summer and see how he plays with these states. But these states, I think, um, definitely significant inroads can be made. And so far, I think um, the progress is very good on the ground. And we're also having an event uh, while I'm on the point um, this this coming Saturday um, with Bergen County. I'll, I'll post that information again on Twitter, but uh, to raise continued awareness about presidential delegates and Trump, uh, the Trump campaign and getting involved with that in the state of New Jersey. All right. Terrific. Paul Inglisia uh, joining us uh, from the road. Paul, drive safely back to uh, the Garden State. Uh, Again, folks, uh, his uh, substack, uh, paulinglesia.substack.com. You definitely want to go there uh, and uh, subscribe. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on the show. And, Paul, I want to talk to you about uh, getting you on my WABC radio show uh, this Sunday. Folks can listen to that show uh, at wabcradio.com worldwide. You can hear it worldwide. So if you live in the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, it's 770 on the AM dial. But if you live, say, in uh, California uh, or Michigan and you want to listen, you can tune in at wabcradio.com. Paul, I want to talk to you about getting you on this Sunday. Drive safe, my friend. Great. Thank you very much, Roger. Uh, All right, folks. uh, Still uh, with me uh, is my uh, co-host, Troy Smith, uh, the editor-in-chief of Rare.com. Here is a a question uh, which we spoke about yesterday. uh, But, uh, Troy, do you think uh, that the longer uh, Nikki Haley hangs on, uh, the more uh, likely or perhaps even politically uh, necessary or desirable it is that Donald Trump select a woman uh, as his running mate. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, as we've, it seems like choosing a woman as your running mate has almost become the thing after Kamala Harris, you know, the Democrats, uh, I think they made a, a move at that. And I was interested to hear 
uh, earlier in this show that that like we were talking about Kamala Harris that that Obama was actually the one that pushed her into becoming a vice president and knowing what we know about Joe Biden and his health. Kamala Harris uh, really is a roadblock, I think, for the Democratic Party. Uh, and to, to have an idea of this kind of infighting between the Democrats that never really comes to light is amazing. But Kamala Harris was chosen simply because she is a woman. And I think that that was a major mistake. Uh, and I think it was a mistake because she really doesn't represent the country well. Now, are there women within the Republican Party in the list of VP candidates that we talked about, Roger? Are there women on that list that I think would represent our country well? Absolutely. Uh, but we can't go around picking people for positions just because they're a woman. That doesn't work. And, and when you do that, it becomes uh, a game of not, you know, qualifications. We want a meritocracy, Roger. We want uh, it to be based on qualifications. Um, and, and it's not something that we can just choose based on race or religion or sex or anything like that. So I think uh, there will be pressure from the mainstream media, from even the Republican establishment as we go forward uh, for Trump to select a woman as his vice president. Uh, my only hope would that be whoever he picks, whether it be a woman or a man, that they're just qualified and that they have shown throughout their career that they're not, they're, they are not willing to sacrifice the uh the the media attention they're not willing to sacrifice uh you know basically being skewered in the media for doing the right thing we need people who will do the right thing no matter what happens and if we don't put someone in the position of vice president that's willing to do that then we might as well not have one at all well it does uh, occur to me as i look at the media that more and more uh commentary uh predicting that michelle obama will be the Democratic nominee for president. Let me walk again uh, through folks, get a lot of questions about this, how this could work. Uh, Joe Biden uh, is on the ballot uh, virtually everywhere now uh, after the South Carolina primary. Uh, he's in many cases the only candidate on the ballot where he has nominal opposition. So he could very easily get to the Democratic convention with more than enough delegates to be technically nominated uh, but at that juncture, announced that for reasons of health, which let's face it, would be entirely plausible, that uh, he cannot accept the nomination. Then he would throw the nomination open to the uh, the convention, release all of his delegates, uh, and uh, there's no question that the convention at that juncture uh, would turn to their potential strongest candidate, and that is Michelle Obama. Uh, Cindy Adams, a very influential, longtime syndicated columnist with the New York Post, has now had two major stories on this the last 72 hours. Uh, you actually see uh, David Axelrod uh, speculating about it, chief uh, ed political advisor to Joe, uh, to Barack Obama. Uh, Bill O'Reilly uh, has finally jumped on the train uh, as if it's the first time anybody's brought it up. Uh, as you know, I've been saying this for uh, almost two years. Uh, I've had uh, Joel Gilbert, who's written an excellent book uh, and produced an excellent documentary, uh, Michelle Obama 2024, on this topic. Uh, but uh, if that were to pass, uh, I actually think, just politically, and I speak, by the way, for myself, just my political opinion, not reflecting the position of Donald Trump or the Trump campaign, uh, that it would be smart politics 
to have a woman on the ticket. And frankly, there's several women who I think uh, could uh, fill that uh, void. Uh, the first criteria is we need someone fully qualified with the judgment and the experience and the temperament uh, to be a good president. Several people uh, come to mind. Uh, Elise Stefanik, uh, the Republican congresswoman from upstate New York, who has uh, proven to be uh, a real warrior. Uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, the governor of Arkansas. Uh, there she is, uh, a potential candidate. Uh, thinking outside the box a little bit, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, a former Democrat, now an independent, hopefully on her way to becoming a Republican, uh, launched devastating attacks on Nikki Haley just before the New Hampshire primary. Uh, I'm sure there are other women potential candidates uh, that I'm leaving out, but uh, if the Democrats did nominate Michelle Obama, uh, then I think it would be politically wise uh, to choose a qualified woman for vice president. Uh, I do think, however, uh, that this is a tough trick. Uh, as former President Richard Nixon said to me, in choosing a vice presidential candidate, don't look for someone who can help you, just look for someone who does not hurt you. Uh, I, that's a bit cynical, but uh, what Donald Trump needs to do here uh, is thread the needle by picking somebody well-received in his base, but also attractive to a constituency uh, where he needs to make ground. Younger people, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, uh, uh, disenchanted Democrats and independents, uh, and so on. Um, that is a, a tall order. Uh, again, those who say, oh, there's going to be a Trump-Haley ticket, uh, no matter how much pressure Donald Trump gets from Wall Street, you can already see it, Jamie Dimon uh, already intimating that there'd be a lot of Wall Street, that means money, folks, support for a Trump-Haley ticket. Uh, I've said it publicly, if Donald Trump uh, selected uh, Nikki Haley, he would need a food taster. Uh, Steve Bannon was even more uh, blunt. He said uh, uh, if that were to happen, they'd go out and find their Lee Harvey Oswald. I don't think I would have put it that way, but a point uh, well taken. So uh, you're going to hear more and more of this drumbeat uh, about a uh, Trump-Haley ticket. Um, I don't see it. We got about four minutes to go here. Troy, your final thoughts. Well, Roger, it's a it's a tremendously uh, it, it's a it's a tremendously a sad situation that we have in America right now, and especially watching the news coverage of New Hampshire last night. Uh, when you realize that Donald Trump is the first person in in decades, or even maybe in the history of our country, uh, to to be president and to strictly represent the American working class. That is something that we haven't seen in a long time. And it's something that in the days of Obama and George W. Bush that we all yearned for. Everybody from Michael Moore to people like us, the, the, everybody across the political spectrum worries about the disenfranchisement of the American people. And the one person that is that is risen in the political ranks up to the point of being president, he steps out of the business world and takes the White House. He spends four years getting attacked by everybody in government. And then he spends the next four years being attacked by judges and, and, and lawyers and prosecutors who want to punish him for standing up for the American working class. This only shows the disdain 
that these people have for you, the American working class. It shows the disdain that the political class in this country has for the average American. They are only doing to Donald Trump what they want to do to you. He's only standing in the way. And he's said that many times, and I believe it's probably the most profound thing he's ever said, is that they are attacking him because he stands between us and chaos. He stands between us and them who have been trying to destroy this country for many years. And under President Joe Biden, we've just kind of seen a, res a resuming of all the stuff we saw under Bush, all the stuff we saw under Obama. And New Hampshire made it clear last night, if you're part of the establishment, if you're part of the work, if, if you're part of the class, the political class in this country that has bankrupted us, then you vote for Nikki Haley. You support Joe Biden. If you want to stand for America and you want to see us return, you want to see America great again, then you support President Donald Trump. And as, a, as someone in media, Roger, I see this dynamic play out, and it's very sad to see the disdain that people on MSNBC and even Fox News have for the average American and the fact that Trump is their voice in the political world. And the sooner that we realize that Trump is the voice of the working class, the sooner we can understand why he's being attacked the way he is. All right, we have to wrap it up there. Roger Stone, Troy Smith, here on The Stone Zone until tomorrow. God bless you and Godspeed. Thank you.